so fun to see that and to share worship with our FSM worship team. By the way, keyboard player, my daughter. Shout out to Ansley. Um, You know, for those of you that are here um, connected to these seniors, parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, friends, family, I know this is a significant day for you. So thank you for being a part of this. And I imagine that we have those watching online, uh, maybe around the country as well to see that, and I just wanna acknowledge how special and important this is, and it is so good to have a church family that we can celebrate these moments with. So thanks for this moment this morning. Open your Bibles, if you have a Bible, to Deuteronomy chapter eight. We are in a series on the generosity of God, and for the last three or four weeks or so, we've been walking through this series, we've learned a lot, and one way to think about this series is uh, the theology of generosity. So here's some things that we've learned. We've learned that generosity is arguably God's most fundamental attribute. In other words, it is God's predisposition. God doesn't have to work to be generous. God is generous. It is his nature. It is who he is. He's not simply inclined to give. He is inclined to give with abundance, overflowing. There is no greater picture of that than the son of God himself. Last week, Lloyd did a marvelous job of uh, talking about a key scene in the life of Jesus where he does his first miracle. He turns water into wine and not just a little wine, overflowing wine and the joy that was accompanied in that wedding celebration. And when we live with the theological mindset that we serve a generous God and, and we're being loved by a generous savior, we begin to have the faith and trust to open our hands. When you start realizing that your father in heaven desires to give you good gifts, you don't have to hoard things. You don't have to grab on because the stuff around you is no longer your life. Jesus is your life. And so you can open your hands to the stuff around you. When we open our hands, everything that God gives to us flows through us into other hands. And we're able to bless other people in the image of our generous God. Now, this week, we're gonna keep developing our theology of generosity by talking about our response to God's generosity as human beings. Another way to think about this is there is a complex relationship between generous God and selfish, sinful human beings. And I wanna talk about that relationship. I wanna talk about the implications for us of the fact that God is so generous and we are made in his image, and yet we still carry the flesh, we still carry a sinful nature in us that, get, that is being remade in the image of Jesus. I am not exaggerating when I say this topic of how we deal with the abundant world God has put us in. This may be one of the most important and relevant topics in our time and place that we could possibly talk about together. So I'm gonna dive in, I'm gonna dive in hard. This is one of those, I'm not holding anything back. I'm just going after all of our hearts this morning, my heart included, and I want to say that out front, uh, because this is not a light sermon. Let me set this up with an illustration. If I told you that a few months from now, we were all going to go get on an airplane together and travel to uh, one of the places in the world where Christians are being persecuted, you know, there's a a lot of places right now where it's not safe to be a Christian. If I said, we're going to all go there to minister the gospel, like to share the gospel with people, and we're going to go and we're going to enter that that, that part of the world that's dangerous for Christians to live in. I bet we would all be a little nervous. I know I'd be nervous. I, I would pray more than I usually do. I bet you would as well. I would 
prepare, I would plan. We'd probably do some training sessions, equipping sessions, where we'd walk through scenarios of what to say if we get questioned about this or that, or how to go through customs, et cetera, et cetera. We would be alert. We would have a plan, because that's what you do when you go into a dangerous place. What if I told you that right now, you are living in a place that from God's perspective is just as dangerous to you than any of those other places. Just as dangerous or maybe more dangerous because the danger is not so much to your physical life or your physical freedom here. The danger is more to your soul. The danger is to the vitality of your relationship with God the vitality of your inner being. In other words, the threat is to the very parts of you that matter most. This is not just an attention-grabbing opener for a sermon. I'm serious about this because the Bible is serious about this. We're going to talk this morning about the problem of abundance. The problem of abundance. We're going to talk about the danger of living in a land like the land we live in, a land of more than we need. And we're going to talk about why, as long as we're living with broken, fragmented hearts, this place of abundance we live in can literally eat our lunch. Now, this is where Deuteronomy 8 comes in. Let me give you a little bit of context, and then I'm going to jump in starting in verse 6. Deuteronomy is the book of the law, the book of the covenant. Moses gathered the people right before they entered the promised land and he read to them the covenant that they were making with the one true God, Yahweh. Now the significance of this moment in Moses' life is he was about to die. He was soon going to die. God had told Moses that he will never enter the promised land. It would be Joshua, his successor, that would lead the people in the promised land. So before he died, he gathered them all. He read them the law, and he also gave them a warning. He told them about the land that they're about to enter into, and then he gave them a warning about the land, which is interesting. Let's look at the description of the land first, and then we'll look at the warning second. So look at Deuteronomy 8, verses 6 to 10. This is Moses speaking to the assembly of the Hebrew people. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs flowing out in valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron, and out of whose hills you can dig copper, and you shall eat and be full. And you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. One of the interesting things about this passage is how similar the description of the promised land is to the description of the Garden of Eden in Genesis 1 and 2. Both are places of overflowing, both are places of abundance. Both are places that God prepared for his people and then invited them into. He said, I've created this for you. Now go live in it. You will have all that you need. In fact, kind of the message of the Garden of Eden and the message of the promised land, what they symbolize and represent is the same message. All your needs and then some will be met when you live in full trust of God who created you. 
Now, here's what's interesting about this. Israel's story is the story of humanity in miniature. In other words, in the Old Testament, Israel represents God's relationship with mankind, so to speak. At least that was God's intention for Israel. So when Israel entered the promised land, in a way, what was being represented was humanity's return to the Garden of Eden. That's exactly what's going on here theologically. So put on your theology hat for a minute. What happened last time people of God were living in a garden? They're living in the Garden of Eden. What happened last time? Just somebody shout it out. They sinned. They disobeyed. They broke the law. They blew it. Right? That's what happened last time. So it's no surprise that right after Moses says, this is the land you're going to, this overflowing place of abundance it's followed right after that by a warning. Don't make the same mistake as what happened with our ancestors in the Garden of Eden. So look at verses 11. We're gonna read um, 11 all the way down through 19. This is the warning of living in a land of abundance. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and statutes. It's exactly what Adam and Eve did which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up. Pause. That's a Hebrew idiom for becoming prideful. It's like the, the heart, the inner person, being exalted, being lifted up. Think about you know, the Tower of Babel, you know, lifted up to the level of God, so to speak. Then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground. I love that phrase, thirsty ground, where there was no water who brought you water out of the flinty rock who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Verse 17, beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. They're just coming out of a dangerous wilderness. And Moses is saying, you can also perish in a land of abundance. Do you know how you perish in a land of abundance? You forget God. This is the first lesson of this passage. Lesson number one, the core danger of abundance is that it will cause you to forget God. In fact, I'd say that danger that you'd forget God is not just a possibility, it is a certainty. Unless you carefully and consciously move in a different direction. 
And this is what Moses was wanting for the people. If you're not careful, Moses is essentially saying, abundance will destroy you. I mean, he's serious. He says, I solemnly warn you, you shall surely perish. Moses is saying the very thing you think is gonna be life for you will rob you of life. Why is abundance so dangerous for us? In our fallen state, our hearts are not whole. So we grab onto anything and everything we think will complete us, will shield us from discomfort, will dull our pain, will give us that one missing thing. If I only had a little more, if I only had this, if I could only taste that, if I only had a bit more comfort, entertainment, wealth, power, success, then I would feel whole. When you're in an abundant land, there are so many things to grab onto. So many things that look like they'll be life. So many things that you could say, oh, but that's delicious and that's good. And if that doesn't satisfy me, then there's more I can always grab onto. A fragmented heart living in a land of abundance is a disaster waiting to happen. And you don't have to even read the Bible to learn that. Look around our world what is the pattern of individuals in people? The more success and power and wealth they have, the more destructive their life is. What's the pattern of nations in the history of the world? The more success and power and wealth the nation accumulates, the more it starts to crumble and fall apart. Here is the principle. The principle from Deuteronomy 8. The further we human beings get from dependence on God, the more danger we are in. So here we live in Middle Tennessee, suburban Nashville, 2021, you know, the, 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 or the first part of a new century still is kind of where we are. We're living in a land of abundance that would have made the heads explode of the Hebrew people. They couldn't even imagine the comforts and conveniences and the wealth and the abundance that, that we all have. And, you know, it doesn't seem that rich to us because we just look around and it's just life. But I want you to consider some things for a minute. Um, ask yourself, how far removed have you become from needing to consciously depend on God? Think about how many layers there are between you and real desperation. For most of us, and, and I know this isn't necessarily true of everyone, but for most of us, there are layers and layers and layers of insulation between us and literally having to ask God to give us food today, our daily bread. I know for me, I don't have to ask God to give me daily bread because I can get in my car and drive to any one of like, eight grocery stores in a short distance from my home and walk down the bread aisle and see 65 different varieties of bread and pull one or two off the shelf and then go buy a scanner and hold up a little plastic card, simply just deletes a couple digits from some bank account that I don't even feel and go home and eat my bread. If I don't wanna drive, I can get someone to deliver my bread. 
That is a possibility now. We tend to think that all these layers between us and real need are insulating us from risk and danger. But what if those layers are themselves the risk and the danger? The further we get from conscious dependence on God, the more danger we are in. This is true for us as individuals. This is true for us collectively as a society. This is true for us as families. I don't know what kind of background you came from. I mean, most people in Middle Tennessee, they're, they're not super poor, but maybe you grew up super poor or maybe your grandparents are super poor, but chances are your kids are not super poor. You know, the theme of the morning in some ways is this next generation that God has raised up here and we're launching out. We're honoring the seniors this morning and, you know, featuring our, our students leading us in worship and serving in all kinds of ways. Let's just apply this principle for a minute to our parenting and our grandparenting. The further we get from dependence on God, the more danger we are in. What is the application for our parenting of that? How do you raise kids in a land like this? A land overflowing with milk and honey. Many of our children have no idea what it's like to have to really trust God. I, I know my, my daughters don't. You know, we've, we've never been at a place as a family that, that, that I've had to share with them, you know, we have to trust God today, this week, this month, to have enough to eat. We, we've never been there. And on one hand, I'm like, praise God, thank you for that generosity. On the other hand, I'm like, that, that ought to sober us a little bit to realize our children are growing up in a place of abundance like this. You see, often our instincts as parents are to shield and protect our children from need. And, and to some degree, those are good instincts. In some degree, that reflects the generosity of God. Oh, but we need more wisdom than we have. There is a scene... Um, in the, the first season of The Chosen, where Jesus is camping in the woods and he meets this little girl who you know, comes out and she discovers him and, and she sees him. He's like building these little things you know, as a carpenter. And she says, what are you building? And he says, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm building things for uh, the, the wealthy people who love decorations and toys for their children. And she says, my family isn't wealthy. And Jesus pauses and looks at her very intently with a smile on his face. And he says, many times, that is better. And the little girl's like, I don't think so. And Jesus kind of chuckles a little bit and he says, you will, you'll realize that. The further we get from dependence on God, the more danger we are in. Parents, as you're launching your children, you know, part of this process is they're gonna be in places apart from the insulation of the environment that you've raised them in and every instinct in you is going to be to rescue them from need. Allow God to use the need to build trust in him. That's the second lesson we get from the text. So lesson number one was the core danger of abundance is it causes us to forget God. Well, lesson two is God's purpose for the wilderness 
is to teach us to depend on him. Look at verse 16 again. There's something really beautiful in verse 16. Who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. God used 40 years of wilderness to teach the people of Israel to depend on him one day at a time. That was the whole thing about the manna. That's why I love the manna. You could only collect what would keep for that one day and it would spoil if you tried to keep it overnight. If you tried to store it up, it would spoil. Why did God do that? To teach an entire generation of Hebrew people to trust him one day at a time, one step at a time. I love the phrase right there at the end of verse 16, to do you good in the end. That's the ultimate purpose, to do you good in the end. You could apply that little phrase to every single hard thing God has ever let into your life. To do you good in the end. Do you believe that? I mean, really believe that? If you believe that, that he is a generous God, then you must believe that both in seasons of abundance and seasons of wilderness, his core purpose is the same, to do you good in the end. So I am very conscious of the fact that not all of you in this room are overflowing with abundance, either financially or physically or relationally. In fact, for some of you, these last 12 months have not been a 12 months where God has shown up in unexpected generosity like we've been talking about here at Fellowship. They've been 12 months where it's just been hard. It's been a wilderness. Financially, some of you have lost your jobs. Relationally, there's strains on marriages and parent-child relationships that have been exacerbated during this period. Emotionally, there are more people right now that are struggling with depression and struggling with anxiety than has been true in a long, long time. If you are being significantly affected right now by a wilderness season of your life, do you believe that God has allowed this in your life to do you good in the end? That's what scripture is speaking to you this morning. There will be some long-term fruit of this season in your life and in your children's lives that would not have been produced apart from the wilderness to do you good in the end. That is our second lesson. And our third lesson, God puts us in places of abundance even though he knows the danger of them. God puts us in places of abundance even though he knows the danger of them. I've been fascinated this week thinking about the complexity of this dilemma for God, from God's perspective in Deuteronomy 8. Here God 
is about to lead his people into this amazing land and he just wants it for them because he's so generous, you know? He's an overflowing, generous God of joy and love. He's like, I want you to taste honey and I want you to have pomegranates and I want you to experience more than you need. And at the very same time, he's like, and I know this might destroy you. And I love you so much, I'm gonna give you a warning What an interesting tension God is in. This is the paradox of generosity from God's perspective. His heart for us is just overflowing abundance. He's just like, oh, I just want to give you all this stuff. And yet he knows there's some things we can't handle. He knows that the abundance itself could eat us from the inside out. So he loves us enough both to lead us in a land of abundance and to warn us about the land of abundance. Many of you are living in a land of abundance. Have you heard the warning of God about it? Receive both because both overflow out of the generous heart of the Father. Think about this at the macro level, there were an unlimited number of ways God could have created the world. He chose to create it as a world of overflowing abundance, just like imbued with incredible potential for cultivation. There were unlimited ways he could have created human beings. He chose to create us with the capacity to draw out the raw potential of the earth and cultivate it and co-create with him and make amazing things. Everything around us, from a ballpoint pen to your iPhone, from a cookies and cream milkshake to a Ford F-150, all of it is here because God put the raw material into the earth and then he created humans with the intellectual capacity and creativity to cultivate it. Here's the point. By consciously creating everything this way, our generous God gave us the extraordinary power to forget him. He chose to create us with the power to insulate ourselves from conscious need because of all the cultivation that we've created all the work we've done. He didn't give that choice to the animals and the plants and the flowers. They, they can't make homes for themselves. They're completely dependent upon God to provide for them. But to us human beings, he gave us the power to fool ourselves into thinking we don't need him. This is a terrifying truth. I hope you have ears to hear this morning. You can forget God. He will allow you to. God in his sovereignty. And guys, I, I, can't, I can't understand and figure out and articulate how and why God designed all that he did. But I will tell you this. He will allow you to become so insulated by comfort and convenience. He will allow you to become so distracted by entertainment and technology that he is hardly ever a thought in your mind. In fact, I suspect because we live in such a great land of abundance, for most of us, that is already our reality. 
the fact that God consciously chose to create the world this way and create us the way he has and give us this crazy choice that we can forget him, we can isolate ourselves and fool ourselves, must mean there is an answer to the problem of abundance. What is the answer to the problem of abundance? Let me start with the law. When God led them into the land, he gave them a law. Part of the purpose of the law was to set up guardrails for them to thrive in the promised land. He wanted them to live and thrive in this land of abundance. So he gave the feasts and festivals. Why are those there so rigidly required to be observed every year? Because the people needed to be reminded not to forget God. That's what the feasts and festivals are all about. Remember, remember, remember. The tithing laws were there to teach the people to live with less than what they had, to open their hands, to remember that their provision comes from God, not from their own smarts and abilities to accumulate and store up and all these kinds of things. And yet even with the guardrails of the Mosaic law, the people still blew it because the law itself was never intended to save them. The law was pointing to something greater You see, the reason the people could not fully obey the law is because their hearts were sick. Their hearts were hijacked, just as our hearts are hijacked. The problem of abundance is not actually abundance itself. The problem is the human heart. And so the real true solution to the problem of abundance came 1,500 years after Moses. Jesus starts inviting men and women to follow him. And and by follow him, what he was essentially saying is, let me teach you how to live the way human beings are designed to live. And he, he, he told Peter, he said, no, no, no. Leave the fishing behind. That's no longer your provision. I am your provision. He, he, he told Matthew, Leave the tax collecting behind. That's no longer your provision. I am your provision. To this one young man that came up and asked Jesus for life, he said, you're only lacking one thing. Sell whatever you have and come follow me and then you're gonna have life. And the man would not do it because he was so wealthy. Do you all realize Jesus was calling him to be a disciple? Do, Do you all realize like, we, we likely would have known this guy's name. This guy would have had a part in turning the world upside down for the glory of God. And he left that on the table, not because of intellectual doubt in Jesus, but because he didn't want to get rid of his stuff. He didn't want to sell the stuff. What a foolish, foolish trade that young man meant. He made a foolish trade. He missed the opportunity of a lifetime. By the way, Jesus did not ask every disciple to sell all of his possessions, but he asked that one young man to sell his possessions. Why? Jesus knew the possessions were robbing this man of life. And what I'm telling you guys, I think the wealth around us and the affluence and the abundance, whether you have a lot or whether you don't have all that much, I think it is robbing us of more life than we know. Wealth has a way of insulating our hearts from the life 
transforming work Jesus wants to do there. Guys, that's dangerous. We don't want our hearts to be insulated from the work of Jesus. Wealth has a way of insulating our hearts from the life transforming work Jesus wants to do there. The solution to the problem of abundance starts with a commitment to follow Jesus. Interestingly, the, the solution to the problem of abundance doesn't even start with giving your stuff away. That, that may or may not come depending on what Jesus calls you to do. It just starts with a commitment to follow Jesus. Say, Jesus, I'm gonna follow you no matter what. If you tell me to give my stuff up, I'll give my stuff up. If you tell me not to, I won't, but I'm following you and I'm not letting anything get in the way of following you. When that becomes your priority, then stuff just becomes stuff. It's not your life. It's not your security. It's not your hope. It's just stuff. Jesus is your life. Jesus is secure, your security. Jesus is your hope. When you seek life in Jesus, you'll find it in abundance. When you seek life in abundance you'll never find life at all. I want you to hear this as an invitation this morning, not, not as a threat, not as a guilt trip about being wealthy or any of that stuff. Guys, it's an invitation to greater life. And so before we close with the worship song, I'm gonna give us some space. I'm just gonna give us a couple minutes just on our own just to think about these things. Because... I've been talking and I wanna get out of the way so that the Holy Spirit can speak to you. And the way we're going to do that, we'll put a slide on the screen with just a few prompts and the band's gonna play an instrumental underneath and I'm just gonna give you a couple of minutes to consider this. Confess to God areas of your life where you've forgotten him and you were reminded today. Just confess those, whatever God brings to your mind. Ask Jesus to show you what is holding you back from following it, like with abandon, like wholeheartedly following Jesus, all in following Jesus. What's holding you back from that? What is it? And then whatever he reveals to you in these couple of minutes, choose now to let go. And, and I, I'm gonna press us into immediate application here. Like this is your time to choose. When Jesus talked to that rich young ruler, that rich young man, he didn't say, go home and think about it for a little while and decide later this afternoon and come back and let me know. He's just like, boom, here's your opportunity. For you this morning, the Spirit's gonna give you an opportunity. He's gonna show you something holding you back from following Jesus. I wanna encourage you, whatever he reveals, choose to let it go. The only thing that awaits you on the other side of that choice is, is life, trueness, fullness, abundance. Let's go. Let's pray together.